On today's show, I'm talking about how to prepare for the return of Jesus. Are you ready? And I'm talking about the seven signs of a true believer so you can absolutely know that you're ready for the return of Jesus. I'm also talking about Afghanistan, the horrific ramifications of the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, the takeover of the Taliban. I'll be talking about all the different aspects of that, and I'm answering your questions. I'm Jimmy Evans. Welcome to The Tipping Point Show. Welcome to Tipping Point. I've got a really special show for you today because I'm talking about, are you ready for the return of Jesus? If Jesus came back right now, would you be ready? And that's a very important question. And to answer that question, I'm going to talk about the seven signs of a true believer. How do you really know that you know Jesus? How do you know that you're prepared? So I'm going to be talking about that. Before I get into the teaching, let me tell you about my latest book. It's called 21 Day inner healing journey. And this is the subtitle is a personal guide to healing past hurts and becoming emotionally healthy. And so all of us come, you know, into life as we older we get, we have scars, we have issues, father issues, mother issues, life issues, wounds, all those kinds of things that happen to us. And if we don't deal with those properly, it really changes our future. It inhibits our ability to really fulfill the destiny that God has for us. And when my wife and I both got saved at 19 years old, we were the walking wounded. We both had deep wounds from our past. We didn't know how to deal with them. And so we became believers. And over the years, we began to learn how to deal with this and that. And this is a really a, a journey that I took myself and my wife took, not the 21 day journey. It took us a lot longer than that, but it shouldn't have. But we took all of our experiences over many years of the Lord healing us and I put it into this 21-day journey, it really will help you a lot. A lot of people through COVID are experiencing stress, and a lot, really a lot of what's happening is not just the stress of COVID, but all the things that happened to us before COVID, the fears, the discouragement, the depression, what, whatever it might be that is there. And so this will really help you to deal with the root issues of your past that keep you from being healthy and whole and having the relationships with God and other people that you need to have 21 day inner healing journey. And you can get this uh, on Amazon. You can get it on uh, xlmarriage.com. And so I would encourage you to, to get this. I really believe it will be a blessing to you. Let me get into this teaching. Are you ready for Jesus return? If Jesus, now Jesus is coming back soon, I believe. The signs of the times that the Bible said would happen before Jesus returns, they're happening all around us. They're, uh, every day you see something in the news is something that the Bible said would happen before the end comes. And so are you ready? Are your children ready? Are your grandchildren ready? Are your friends ready? How can you know if Jesus returns right now that you're ready for that? Well, the Bible tells us, Matthew 24, it's called the Olivet Discourse, and Jesus was asked by his disciples, you know, what would be the signs of his coming, of the end of the age? So in Matthew 24, Jesus gives a lot of signs, very specific signs, some of which have already happened or they're happening right now. Some are soon to happen. But in Matthew 24, he then changes gears from Matthew 24 all the way through Matthew chapter 25. And Jesus finishes by telling us how to be prepared for his return. This is Matthew 24. This is where Jesus changes gears. He's no longer talking about the signs of the times. He's talking about believers being ready. Matthew 24, beginning in verse 37, 
when the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered the boat, entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day when your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if that servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now you don't have to read very far into that. No, that's a major warning. And Jesus is saying, by the way, that his return will be like the days of Noah before the flood. This is why I believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Before the flood, it says they were partying, they were marrying, they were buying, they were selling, all those kinds of things, business as usual. Jesus is coming. Of course, there he describes the rapture, which is imminent. He says, I could come at any day or any hour. We don't know the exact day or hour. We do know the season and we know the signs of the times, but there's going to be a great punishment for people who aren't ready, they're gambling on the fact that he's not coming and they're living wrong, a great reward for people who are ready for the return of Jesus. That's what he's saying there. Then in Matthew 25, that's Matthew 24, where he begins to change gears into telling us how to prepare for his return. Then in Matthew 25, Jesus tells two parables in a true story to help us prepare for his return. Now I'm gonna talk about one parable in this program today. And then next time I'm talking about the other parable and the true story. These are three ways that Jesus told us we needed to prepare for his return. Let me uh, talk about the first parable, which is the parable of the virgins. Remember, uh, the Bible was not written with chapters and verses. Those came later. So Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 is one text of Jesus talking about the end times and how to prepare. This is Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like... 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out to meet him. All the, bridesmaid, all the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or hour of my return. Now this is 
a scary deal. Now listen, Jesus is the one who gave a percentage that when he returns, half the church will be false, five wise and five foolish. I believe if Jesus came today, half the church is true and half the church is false. And here's the issue. The most important thing about being prepared for the return of Jesus is knowing Jesus. The five uh, bridegrooms, the, the five bridesmaids that got into the wedding were the ones who knew him, but the other five came and knocked on the door and he wouldn't let them in. He said, I don't know you. I don't have a relationship with you. And so five were foolish. I believe right now that many people who say they're Christians, it's a noun, it's not a verb. They don't actively have a relationship with Jesus. They just consider themselves Christians as opposed to atheists, as opposed to Muslims or Mormons or whatever else they are. And so I believe that the most important thing, the reason that this uh, parable came first is because more than anything else, we have to know Jesus Christ. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so if you don't know Jesus, you are not prepared for him to come. And I'm going to talk more in just a minute about how you can know him personally. But let me go on to the seven signs that you are a true believer in Jesus. And these are the things that you might just want to take a personal inventory and say, yep, that's true of me or no, that's not true of me. And the purpose of this isn't to create doubts if you're truly saved. The purpose of this is to help you understand what it is that, that uh, really marks the life of a person who knows Jesus. So here are seven signs in the, that you're a true believer in Jesus. Number one, you have confessed with your mouth, Jesus is Lord of your life. So you have said with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe that Jesus is the only way of salvation. This is Romans 10, beginning in verse 9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. And so when you, whenever you come to Jesus, it says the two things you must do. He who comes to God must believe that Jesus was raised from the dead and you must declare with your mouth that he is Lord. So I'm asking you a question. Have you ever confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? And do you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? This is an important issue here. So you say, well, why in the world do I have to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead to be saved. Well, first of all, if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead, his death didn't matter. The, the life of Jesus was meaningless unless he was raised from the grave. The resurrection of Jesus was God the Father attesting that he accepted Jesus' death as the payment for our sins and that Jesus is the Son of God the way he said he was. If Jesus wasn't raised from the grave, 1 Corinthians 15 goes into detail on this. It says if Jesus wasn't raised from the grave, nothing else matters. And so we have to understand that Jesus Christ being raised from the grave sets him apart from Muhammad, Buddha, Hare Krishna, all the other so-called saviors of the world because they were not resurrected. Their bones are still in their graves. But Jesus is the only son of God and his death atoned for our sins. So you must confess with your mouth that Christ, Christ Jesus is Lord. You must believe in your heart that God raised from the dead. Here's number three. Your life has changed since accepting Christ. So you say, well, I'm a believer and I accepted Christ. Great. 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Has something changed in your life uh, since you became a Christian? I became a Christian at 19 years old. I was very immoral and rebellious. 
uh, before I got saved. After I got saved, I could not be around the same friends that I was with before because of the way they were. Now, I was just as bad as they were before I got saved. But after I got saved, something changed. I was still imperfect. I'm still imperfect today. But things began to change in my life. If nothing has changed in your life since you say you became a Christian, well, that just means you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Something isn't right. If you're truly in relationship with Jesus, there should be changes that are being made. Here's number four. You hear God's voice. This is John chapter 10. Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then the Jews surrounded him and said to him, How long do you keep us in doubt? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. My sheep hear my voice. So the day I got saved, um, I had had a terrible night the night before of sin. Now, I had never felt bad about anything that I had done before. I mean, I was lost and I was a sinner and I was really good at it. And I never felt bad about anything that I did until this particular night. It was a week before Karen and I got married. And so at my bachelor party, bad things happened. And I woke up the next morning and it was the first time I ever felt convicted that something I did was wrong. And I was in my friend's bathroom. I'd spent the night with my friend. I, I woke up and I was in his bathroom and I just, I was under conviction. Now, Karen's mother had a Bible study praying that I would get saved or it, they were actually praying that we wouldn't get married, but they were also praying that I would get saved. And I really do believe that's why I felt convicted. But I said in the bathroom that day, uh, Jesus, I'll follow you all the days of my life and I'll never turn back. And I made him the Lord of my life that morning. Immediately when those words came out of my mouth, I heard these words, never see your friend again. Never, never see your friends again. I had friends that were a bad influence on me. I would have never fulfilled God's purpose for my life if I would have kept those friends. The very first instant that I knew Jesus, I heard his voice. It was a voice in here. It wasn't a voice here. It was a voice in here. Never see your friends again. Two weeks later, the Lord called me to preach. When I was 19 years old, I heard him again. Since that time, I've been a believer for 48 years. I've heard the Lord's voice over and over and over. And it lets me know that he's in my heart, that I'm in relationship with him. Number five, you believe you're saved by grace and not works or being a good person. See, a lot of people say, yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm a good person. Well, there's no such thing. This is a Barna survey. This is a Christian survey. Let me quote this survey here. Slightly over half of Christian respondents said they believe someone can attain salvation by being or doing good. A figure that includes 46% of Pentecostals, 44% of mainline Protestants, 41% of evangelicals, and 70% of Catholics. Well, the problem with that is most people believe, most Christians believe that they can be saved by being a good person. Here's Ephesians chapter 2. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, 
not of works, lest anyone should boast. If you haven't been saved by grace, you're not saved. You see, here's, here's the thing. If good people can be saved, then why did Jesus die on the cross? If you can be saved by being a good person, what you're saying is Jesus didn't need to die for you. You're such a good person that the death of Jesus was, wasn't necessary for you. But I want you to understand, when we think that we're good, that's because we're comparing ourselves to other people. But God doesn't compare us with other people. He compares us with himself. The standard of righteousness isn't us. The Bible says all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. The standard of righteousness is God. The standard of righteousness is Jesus Christ. And that is why the only way we can get saved is great, that means grace. It's a gift. You have to receive salvation as a gift, not of works. No one can brag and say they're good enough to be saved. Number six, you receive God's word. That's how you know you're a true Christian is you receive the word of God, John chapter eight. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father and you do what you've seen with your father. Now Jesus here is talking to them about the word of God and the relationship they have with the word. And he's saying, you can't hear my words because you, you, you're not of me. You're, you're of your father, you're not of my father. This is another Barna survey. Let me read this to you. In addition to the viewpoint that eternal salvation can be earned, Survey results show that 58% of Americans believe that no absolute moral truth exists and that the basis of truth are factors or sources other than God. 77% said that right and wrong is determined by factors other than the Bible. 59% said that the Bible is not God's authoritative and true word. And 69% said people are basically good. So you see here, a lot of people, most people believe that the Bible is not the authoritative source of truth. Let me go back to the 10 virgins. Remember that they had lamps at midnight. The bridegroom came at midnight and five had their lamps trimmed and ready and five didn't have oil in their lamps. Well, I believe that the lamps represent the word of God. Psalm 119 says the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. The five that knew Jesus, they knew him through his word. How do you know Jesus? You know him through his spirit and through his word. You can't reject the word of God and know Jesus. John 1 says Jesus is the word of God. In, John, in Revelation 19, Jesus again is called the word of God. You cannot reject the word of God and have a true relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking you, do you receive God's word? Do you mock at God's word? Do you believe that God's word is not an authoritative source for your life, that there is a source other than the word of God? that's more important to you. This is very important. If you genuinely have a relationship with Jesus and you're a true believer. Here's number seven. You love God's family, the church. This is John 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is 1 John 4. If someone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen 
How can he love God, who, love God whom he has not seen? In this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. When I was an unbeliever, I didn't like Christians. I mean, I couldn't stand them. They, they irritated me to death. And once I became a believer, the Lord said to me, don't see your friends again. Well, so for a period of time, it was just me and Karen, my wife, and Jesus. That's all there was. And we started going to church. And I had judged Christians, you know, as being nerds and losers and all that kind of stuff. When I went to church and started having relationships with Christians and the church, I found out that they're the best friends in the world. They're the, they're the funnest people. I mean, not, not everyone. You know, it's not like I have a close relationship with every Christian in the world. But I found my very best lifelong friends in church. And what I found was I lived my life differently in church than I would outside of church. And here's what I believe. This is the most evil world in the history of the world. And I don't believe anyone can make it without church and other believers in their lives. 1 Corinthians 15, 33 says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Bad company corrupts good morals. And so if you have bad company, the Lord said to me, don't see your friends again. If I would have kept those friends in my life, I would have never been able to be here right now doing, doing what I'm doing. It was only because I had believers around me and the church around me that I was able to fulfill my destiny in God. So I've given you seven signs of a true believer. And I hope you take these things to heart. If there's one or two or more of those things that aren't present in your life, I just encourage you to really go to the Lord in prayer. But let me end by talking to you about making Jesus the Lord of your life. It's very simple. If you would sit there and say, Jimmy, I really don't know that I'm truly a believer. I don't know if I'm a wise virgin or a foolish virgin. And if Jesus came right now, I don't know that I'm ready. You can absolutely know. And if you've never prayed a prayer like this, or maybe even if you have, I want you to, to pray this prayer uh, with me as I speak these words. Just say this after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I open my heart to you. And I invite you to come in to be my Lord and Savior. I confess that you are my Lord. And I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. Forgive me of all of my sins. Give me the gift of eternal life. From this day forward, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, Jesus has come into your heart. Now, begin to pursue him in prayer. Begin to pursue him through his word. And begin to pursue him through Christian fellowship in church with other believers. You can absolutely know, if you know Jesus Christ, that you're ready for his return. We're going to go right now to the subscriber-only portion of the show. If you're not a subscriber, uh, endtimes.com, Tipping Point Prophecy Update, $7 a month, $77 a year. We would love to have you as a subscriber. You can get the full podcast. You can also get all the articles that come out all week long. And so thank you for being with us. If you're a subscriber, stay tuned.